Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies. So we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Eleven members of the current Congress have been in Congress longer than we've been alive. With 77% of Americans disapproving of Congress's work, today we're asking how long is too long to serve in Washington? This is Sarah from the left and Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Thanks for joining us for another episode. I should say after that intro, we're not young. I mean, I'm 35, just P.S. Yeah, all of those 11 members have been in Congress more than 36 years. Wow. Okay. Well, we hope you've been following along all the activity on our blog. We're trying to really showcase our amazing community of listeners. So we're posting blog posts, uh, emails that are written to us because it felt selfish that Beth and I were just soaking up all your brilliant thoughts and not sharing them with the world. And send anything our way that you'd like us to consider publishing. It doesn't have to just be like a Dear Sarah and Beth. If you've written something on your personal blog that you want to repost with us, uh, we'd love to take a look at it. And before we get started on the pearls, speaking of the Pantsuit Politics community, we somehow misplayed Rachel's message of what Pantsuit Politics means to her. So we're going to share that right now, and then we'll dive into the pearls. Hey, guys, it's Rachel. Take four, I think. I'm not very good at technology, but I think this is the one. And so I just wanted to start off by saying I hope Sarah and Beth have gotten a lot of sleep and are hydrated from all their convention hopping because y'all have been putting in the work for us. And so thank you for that. And then also I want to discuss just exactly what pantsuit politics means to me. So some background on me. I'm very young female. I live in a highly Republican area and I really didn't have anyone to discuss politics with. And it was kind of difficult because they weren't really having a discussion. It was just, you know, insults, I guess. And so I have been listening since the third episode, you know, the one about Yale. And ever since, this community has been, like, my support system and it is full of wonderful, intelligent, nuanced people. Thank you very much, Sarah and Beth, for bringing that word back. I don't know where it went, but it's back now. And um, everyone is just really there to, you know, teach each other and learn from each other. And I think that's great. And again, huge thank you to Sarah and Beth because you guys come together and you're from opposite parties. 
yet you you work and you find common ground and you're there to learn and discuss. You're not there to fight. It's not about party lines at all. It's completely about bettering the world. And you guys are just so inspiring to me. I, I think about you the way Sarah thinks about Hillary Clinton. Yeah, that much. I know. Wow. And so I'm just extremely proud of how far we've come already and how far we're going to go. And I'm inspired. It's just, it means so much to me. And I want to just personally thank Sarah and Beth and everyone in the pantsuit politics community on Twitter and Facebook. I don't have a Facebook, but it's a strong presence there. And I'm, you guys make me want to get a Facebook. And if that says anything, that means how much I care about you. So thank you. And then I also have a question, which is, what is y'all's opinion on flat tax and what are the pros and cons of it? Thank you and keep it nuanced, y'all. Thank you so much, Rachel. Rachel is one of our uh, Gold Star Twitter community members, so hopefully you can find her there. Speaking of Twitter, the community is about to get busy again because the presidential debates are going to start on September 26th at Hofstra University. Sarah, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much are you looking forward to the presidential debates, with 10 being like looking forward to Christmas pudding and 1 being like uh, going to the dentist? I mean, I'm not getting too excited, to be honest, because I just don't know if he's going to do it. I'm skeptical that he'll show up and follow through. Oh, I think he'll do it. The media is, like, all the cameras are going to be right there. The ratings are projected to be bigger than the Super Bowl. He can't stay away from that. It's a moth to a flame. I mean, she's going to slay him. It's not going to be pretty. So I'm psyched for that. We need to, let's let's reach out, you guys. Think of a fun way, if anybody has, like, a, a a certain website or app or like a really fun way we can all watch together. Like we'll be on Twitter, but if there's a, a cool way for us to sort of video in together and someone has an idea, let us know. Cause we want to, you know, these debate, the debates were so fun in the primary and this, these will be even better. So we really want to make the most of it. So let us know if you have any ideas. Better is an interesting word because I'm just not sure what this is going to look like. I can't imagine trying to prepare for these debates because the questions you know are going to be driven by whatever Donald Trump was tweeting 45 seconds before they begin. Ugh. And I I just wonder how he'll compete because in the Republican primary debates it it was more of a circus than a debate. It doesn't seem that the Commission on Presidential Debates would allow that to happen for the general election debates, so it, it could really be something to see. There are also some interesting stories coming out about the process of preparing for this debate, because Hofstra is the backup location. It was not the first site chosen for the debate, and they only have like 14 days of school before the debate happens on campus. So I've heard some some interesting sort of backstory about all the things that they have to do to, to get this really major production together and for the students to capitalize on all the people who will be in town around this. So lots more to come from us on debates. Much less exciting topic, but very important. The United Nations issued a 95-page report based on a year-long investigation of Syria. And the report concludes that the Syrian military used chlorine bombs against citizens at least twice over the past two years. They also found that ISIS has used sulfur mustard in Syria, and that is also considered a war crime by the international community. So the Security Council now has to decide whether and how to sanction Syria. Russia has previously blocked attempts to sanction the Syrian government, but if they don't do it this time, it is a huge challenge to the legitimacy of the chemical weapons ban and really to the United Nations in general. We knew it was bad, but we keep getting more specific information about how bad it is. It's so overwhelming. And I read the most disturbing quote about the Syrian civil war today that which the woman basically said, it seems so bad, but what's important from a historical perspective with regards to civil war is it can get so much worse, which I just thought, mm. oh my God, how could it possibly get worse? But, you know, I think that the walking the line between being appropriately overwhelmed and 
stricken by what we know has happened cannot prevent us from trying to stop it from getting worse. The New York Times had a very uh, thought-provoking editorial comparing Syrian children to Anne Frank. Oh, it was so good. It it was really touching and disturbing and I think put into sharp focus the fact that there are times when we should use our military despite the absence of a clear American interest. And mm. that's a hard statement, but it does feel to me like we are we are in some ways the protectors of the people who can't protect themselves and this has just gone on too long and it has gotten too ugly and and I would hate to wait around until there is a clear American interest at stake. I think we just have to classify the dignity of humankind as an American interest. Mm. I mean, I think that it's easy, though, to talk about World War II and think that that's what we... But I mean, the article doesn't do this, but it's easy to think that that's sort of um, what we were doing in World War II. I think that's the story we all tell ourselves as we stepped in when there was a moral issue. But, you know, the truth is if we'd stepped in sooner... But we didn't because we wanted to protect our own interests. So, I mean, I think that it's – I wish that was true. I just don't think it almost ever is. And, you know, it's so difficult. I think that partially I blame the missteps in the Middle East up into this point because it's exhausted sort of any ability to get involved. Everyone is so overwhelmed. I mean, we've been and involved in conflict in that area since 2001, and it's 2016. So I think that, you know – People are exhausted, but unfortunately, this see on the face of it seems very, very different for than previous situations in which we've gotten involved. But I just don't know if there is. I was reading when I was reading that New York Times article. I just thought I don't even know what to personally do. I thought, should I write Rand Paul? Like he's not going to be an interventionist, you know? Like I just I feel so helpless. I would be interested to know what Rand Paul's stance is on this conflict, actually. I haven't, I haven't, that's not a question that I've posed um, in my own research, but I will. That's a good idea. I mean, we might as well know where our representatives stand and uh, let them know where we stand. Well, we're going to move on to compliment the other side. And we have a theme today. It's people named Adam. (laughs) So I'm going to compliment um, Adam Kinzinger, who is a representative from Illinois. Also very good looking, not while I'm complimenting him, but Google him, really good looking. Um, He's an advocate for inclusion and equality. He's had this really great post on Medium about, you know, how sort of what we stand for here at Pansy Politics, anger isn't really the way forward. It's not how we're going to help ourselves or the next generation um, move America forward. Um, He's very interested in seeing Syria freed from the Assad regime. He says he's not voting for Donald Trump. Thumbs up, Adam Kinzinger. He's one of my favorites. I am going to compliment Adam Edelin from our home state of Kentucky. He is uh, one of the founders of the New Kentucky Project, which is a grassroots movement to do a lot of the things that we talk about on the show. Like, let's not see the parties as this binary, um, you know, adversarial system. Let's move forward in the interest of all Kentuckians. Let's be respectful in our disagreement. Let's work at the county level. So I'm really excited to see what becomes of that project and appreciate um, Adam Elidland's comments about why he started it and what he hopes it does going forward. Fun fact, Adam Edelin started uh, the New Kentucky Project with Matt Jones, who was um, went to college with Beth and I at Transylvania University. He's my husband's law school uh, roommate. He is known for being involved with Kentucky Sports Radio. And, I, you know, Adam is an incredibly charismatic guy, and so is Matt. Um, you know, when I saw Adam speak when we were at the merge, I was just really um, impressed by him and really sad to see that he lost last time. And I'm excited to see what the new Kentucky project has planned. I spent all weekend in the 90 degree heat knocking on doors for my campaign. We are special breakfast people here at Pansy Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. 
You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash pantsuit. I knocked on 200 doors. I have 4,800 left to go, which I will be doing over the next nine weeks. Missing time with my family and my friends in the weather to take a job that doesn't pay very well. And because I believe in it and I think I can make a difference. And so just on the most like basic personal level studies and, you know, intellectual arguments aside, there's just a big part of me that's like, why would I kill myself for a job you're going to kick me out of in a couple of years? <laughs> that's just my first personal sort of blockade I have right now with discussions about term limits. Well, we're not going to talk about city commission, fortunately, today, but I think that <laughs> is a, I think that's a really good kind of opening volley because term limits are talked about a lot as this no-brainer kind of solution, and I'm not sure that it's quite so simple. Fix-all. It's like a fix-all. Everybody's like, oh, well, term limits, that'll fix everything. I'm like, will it? Will it? So the, let's do the current state and kind of where we are in terms of the process. Right now, representatives to the United States House can serve an unlimited number of two-year terms, and senators can serve unlimited numbers of six-year terms. See Mitch McConnell. In the early 90s, 24 states imposed term limits on their federal, well, 24 states put congressional term limits on the ballot for federal representatives, and eight states approved those term limits. So it was questionable the whole time whether states had the power to limit the service of their federal representatives. And in May of 1995, the Supreme Court said, no, they do not. So 5-4 decision, U.S. Term Limits, Inc. versus Thornton, the Supreme Court held that states do not have the power to impose term limits on federal representatives. 
1994 elections, the, the kind of all of this movement happening at the same time, the Republican platform actually included term limits in Congress and brought a constitutional amendment to the House floor. That amendment that Republicans proffered proposed limiting senators to two terms and House members to six terms, so 12 years for everyone. It got very little support because that was too little rotation for the individuals who were involved at the grassroots level in this debate. The issue kind of went dormant for a while. In 2007, Larry Sabato, a political scientist, suggested that we hold a national constitutional convention to enact federal term limits. His argument was Congress will never impose this kind of restriction on itself, so we the people have to rise up and do it. That obviously hasn't happened. There are a number of organizations that would advocate for that same approach and have some strategies to get there. Uh, Five states have issued resolutions asking Congress to propose a federal constitutional amendment on term limits. That's South Dakota, Hawaii. I believe it's just the Senate in Hawaii, Utah, Idaho, and Florida. So what happens when you don't have term limits? The longest-serving senator, Robert Byrd, a Democrat of West Virginia, served in Senate for 51 years. And until he retired relatively recently, U.S. Representative John Dingell, a Democrat from Michigan, had been in the House since 1955. I mean, Robert Byrd died in the Senate, did he not? I thought I was there. I think I was working there when that happened. I believe that that is true. Oh, um, so old. So that's sort of the current state. Neither Donald Trump nor Hillary Clinton is on their record with a stated position on congressional term limits. Tim Kaine does support congressional term limits, as do Gary Johnson and Jill Stein. And so that is your uh, lightning round on how we got to be where we are. And I thought from here, Sarah, maybe we could just sort of tick through what the main and often repeated arguments for and against term limits are and discuss each point. Because I I read a lot about term limits. I didn't read a lot that's new. It seems like there are pros and cons that pretty much everyone agrees are pros and cons. (laughs) And -hmm. there's a, a little bit of a stalemate given the weight of each side. Well, you know, I will say that I did find one argument for, so we can start with this one, that I thought was pretty interesting and very different from the, you know, sort of the general, well, you have, nobody wants career politicians, it shouldn't be a career, so that's a big one. We have that um, because you don't have career politicians, you have less corruption and pork spending, that's another big one with term limits. And what were some of the other sort of most often argued for term limits that you thought about? Well, this idea that you need new blood, you know, to come in and just bring fresh ideas and a different perspective. Uh, There's sort of a last term argument that people are most productive today in their last term because they aren't running for office. So they're Mm -hmm. more likely to use their own judgment, go against special interests, things like that. And then the other topic... But I understand that because that seems diametrically opposed to the idea of they're incumbents, they're safe. So why, I mean, why wouldn't they always do what they want if the idea is that they're incumbents and they're safe? You know what I mean? Does does that make sense? It seems diametrically sort of opposed to me to what people usually say. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think that that's the problem with this entire argument because these are all really just theories and and we should try to tease that out. But the, the one other argument that I thought we could discuss briefly is that... Uh, Right now, seniority is a very big factor in how much power you exercise in Congress. And with term limits, obviously, that would turn seniority on its head. And so how would leadership come about? And and advocates for term limits say that this would make merit or qualification or good ideas more important than seniority. I, I don't know that that's true. But it certainly would change the influence of seniority because there would be a limit on what that could look like. Yeah. Well, one of the interesting arguments I found, because I think the problem with all the ones we just presented is generally that could be true, but every person could be different, right? I mean, some people might fall to these, prey to these career politician limits or sort of down issues, I guess. But then somebody might not, you know, it just, I feel like it's just so individualistic in a way 
you can't classify all career politicians with the same brush or else we wouldn't be arguing so much about, you know, John McCain versus Barack Obama or, you know, whatever. So, but the one thing I did find interesting, I found this, this Harvard law piece by Ener Elhag. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right now. It's from 1998. So it's pretty old, but I thought this was a really interesting thing. Um, he says that it's, Reducing interdistrict inequalities in legislative power is a fundamental reason for term limits. So this piece is not as focused on the individuals, like, you know, sort of within a district, but sort of the interdistrict power play. So he says reducing inequalities in the distribution of legislative power is not just a democratically desirable goal to some extent is also a constitutionally required one. And he talks about Baker versus Carr in which the Supreme Court found such unequal distributions of legislative power objectionable enough to warrant requiring that all legislative districts be equal in population. Um, I think we've talked about Baker versus Carr before, but this is the one person, one vote, and you had these populist districts um, with a way more legis- uh, voting power, basically. So he says, true, each voting district has the same population, but some districts have highly senior incumbents who wield enormous power, while others have junior legislators with very little power. Thus, without term limits, similarly sized populations have significantly unequal levels of legislative power. Legislative power per person remains unequally distributed. Distributed, And I thought that was a really interesting way to think about it. So if you have, you know, if your district has, you know, an equal population, but the other district has John Dingle, you know, obviously he, that district, their votes matter more because their their legislator has significantly greater power than a junior legislator. And I thought that was a really interesting way to think about it in a different way that wasn't just blaming sort of, I guess my, my biggest bi- beef with this argument is it's sort of just about like the character of people who run for office. And if somebody who runs for office, I'm a little sensitive to that. Um, so, but I thought that was more convincing in a way. Do you, does that make sense? I think that ties right into the seniority point. I mean, I think we don't often reflect on how big of a deal seniority is in yeah. Washington and how the committees work and all the things that Congress does that we don't see every day, even if we're glued to C-SPAN. You know, there's so much happening that we don't look at. And and I agree. I mean, I, I, I admit to having voted for Mitch McConnell in primaries because I've thought to myself, how would Kentucky ever exercise the level of power that we do today because Mitch McConnell's been there forever. You know, I mean, it's a, it's not a great reason to vote for someone, but it sure is a pragmatic one. And it's something that I, I now in hindsight see was unfortunate judgment on my part, but uh, because the way he's exercised that power has not been at all consistent with my values, but you know, it, it is, it's a big deal. So I'd like to know what you make of this citizen Congress notion, Sarah, that term limits are needed because serving in Congress was never supposed to be a lifelong endeavor. So not surprisingly, I don't really put a huge amount of stock into the intent of our founding fathers because we don't live in that world anymore. And so it's not that I don't, I think that there, there are ideas worth upholding and I'm not trying to scrap the entire constitution or anything, but you know, I love that tweet where it was like, uh, the fact with, with the Congress was written, the uh, constitution was written without the inputs of minority and women. So I think we're going to need to imp- update it from time to time. Like, I think it's a nice idea, but <laughs> I just, you know, I think that at this point our government is so large and so complex and the skills you need, uh, you know, I made this point about Donald Trump. It's a big complex job. Of course I'm making that about a position that's term limited. So, Hey, there you go. And I wonder like, how different would things be if the presidency wasn't term limited? Like, can you even imagine who would we still have? How long would Clinton would have lasted? How long would, you know, it's just, it's a really interesting sort of thought experiment that I, you know, I think so much about term limits, but for some reason I sort of just forget about the presidential term limit a lot of the time. But as far as this, your original question to the citizen Congress, I don't buy it. I think it's like this nice agrarian vision of what we were like at the founding, but I just, I'm not sure it applies any longer. I mean, what kind of citizen is going to just be able to take time from their life to travel to Washington, D.C.? Yeah, I think I feel two conflicting ways about this. I think it is really important that people have experience doing things other than being congressmen 
Like, I, I think that bringing more perspective to Washington is important. And I think people lose that perspective once they're there for so long. You know, they go with some interesting experiences, but then they're there forever and they lose touch with the private sector. They lose touch with their communities. That said, I think while you're in Congress, and we've talked about this before, you ought to really be there because I think forming relationships with other representatives is hugely important. Um, I don't think it ought to be like your Tuesday job. Yeah. You know, exactly. and you come back and um, run your dental practice or whatever the rest of the week. That doesn't make any sense to me. So I find the notion that we don't want career Congress people to be the most persuasive argument in favor of term limits, because I, I do think that having touched the rest of the world pretty frequently and in meaningful ways is is really important. Now, I think that makes career planning sort of interesting. You know, at yeah, what point exactly. do you run for office? But I think that with millennials, career planning is something entirely different than it's been anyway. Uh, you know, people expect to do lots of different things and have lots of different experiences. I don't know that this necessarily reduces corruption. I have a hard time with that argument because especially if you can only serve for a limited term, don't you have more people who maybe say, well, you know, I'll do my 12 years so that I get a great job lobbying or in investment banking or whatever. I don't find it particularly persuasive that, that this would automatically reduce corruption. It might reduce pork spending. I don't know that pork spending is my number one issue anyway, because we we seem to have gotten more done when people were able to do more yeah, pork seriously. spending. I, I don't like it, and I certainly am not an advocate of waste, but I don't put that as one of my like top five problems with Congress. Well, another interesting argument that I ran across in my research was the idea that it helps remove the, the entry barrier to running for office. Now, and as somebody running for the first time and knocking on the doors, this does appeal to me and it makes sense, right? So if you're not constantly having to come up against uh, incumbents with decades of basically free advertising and really in, entrenched networks, where they can't run. And so it's an open field. You know, it's always easier. The barrier, the, the reason I'm running the city commission is because one of our incumbents chose not to run. So there's technically, quote unquote, an open seat, assuming that the other three incumbents win, which they most likely will. So uh, that part appeals to me. And I think that that would be a good thing that there, you know, it was, it would, if it's less intimidating to run because you're not always up against these incumbents that can outspend you and that everybody already knows, then hopefully we would get better candidates. And I think that new blood notion, I wish there was another way to talk about it. I hate the idea of new, like the, just the phrase new blood bothers me. But I, I do think it's important to have people with new life experiences and fresh perspectives taking look at, a look at issues for the first time. It's hard for me to imagine 50 years doing anything. I, I don't know. I don't like that we have people in Congress who don't use a smartphone. I, that's hard. You know what I mean? If your worldview yeah. isn't informed at that level now. I don't know how you can be thinking about the future. And maybe if you were term limited, the future would be even more important to you, right? Because you're going to jump out at some point and have to live in the world that you've influenced so substantially. Mm -hmm. So so that has a lot of appeal to me. Like I said, when the arguments are about sort of systematic problems, as opposed to the character flaws of people running for office, I'm much more inclined to listen. <laughs> Well, so let's talk about the, the arguments on the other side of this, which I think get to that individual component. So again, against term limits, you have the notion that experience matters a lot. And I, and I buy that too, especially when you think about the complexities of foreign policy. And then I think your main point, Sarah, is that this really throws the baby out with the bathwater, to use another unfortunate expression, that you've got people who are there for the right reasons, who are working hard and are doing a really good job. And we're just sort of artificially saying, nope, you can't stay. Yeah. The thing that I find most persuasive on the against side is that this is sort of appealing to the lowest common denominator. And because there are some people who go and are corrupted by the amount of time they've spent there or lose touch or become ineffective for whatever reason, we're going to limit everyone's choice. There's a liberty element for me of, nope, 
you know, we get all the choices and we as voters make these decisions. And if we want term limits, then we just don't reelect incumbents. And shouldn't we do that instead of having a rule that prevents us from electing someone that we are deliberately choosing to elect again? Well, and let's just make this real for everybody right now. Let's make it real on term limits. How much would we all be so thankful if we could just, and I say this as a Hillary supporter, could just vote for Barack Obama again? You know, he, he seems pretty great in this current election cycle, doesn't he? How many times have I heard somebody say, oh, why do we have term limits? I wish we could just keep him. I mean, it seems so crazy. Like if you find somebody who's brilliant at the job and does a great does great work, you know, why do we have to kick him out? It seems so you know, antithetical. It seems like cutting off your, what's the phrase? Cutting off your nose, nose to spite to your face. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I do not endorse a third term for President Obama, although given our choices, maybe that wouldn't mm. be the worst thing. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I think that it's problematic to, to limit our options in this way. The last point that I saw consistently against term limits is that while people on the pro side think that we're going to get better results with people not running all the time. The con is that re-election is our accountability mechanism. Yeah, seriously. So what do we do when someone is in the last term of service? People have said this about sort of the Tea Party Freedom Caucus types that have gone to Washington, that they don't have any intention of being career politicians. And that's why they're willing to shut down the government or do yeah, whatever. They're a little crazy. Let's they, just be honest. You know, they go with an agenda and they're going to they're gonna serve out their agenda and they aren't worried about compromise and if they make people mad they're willing to stay home well and and there's proof that that when you do when you have people like that like i don't know what this would mean for the political parties i mean you'd have no structure unless people wanted to move on to another like if you were term limited at the house and then you want to become a senator or whatever but like those strings i mean those carrots and sticks are how you keep people in line and you compromise and you present a party platform and you can really sort of circle your wagons and get things done. Like what happens if you can't do that? Well, a lot of people aren't doing it now. I mean, our incumbents have stopped upholding those values. So I think it depends on what you, it does depend on the individual because it depends on what you go to Washington with. If I were ever to run for Congress, I mean, you know that my issue would be, no, we're going to compromise and get things done. That That's yeah. what matters to and me. And then if we got you there and we had somebody doing a great job and there's not that many people that want to run for office to begin with, and then all of a sudden you're term limited out and what? We just have to find somebody? I mean, I don't know. I wonder about the transfer of experience, too. So what happens when you have someone like a John McCain who really understands how Washington works, who's been to the Middle East countless times, who has all this institutional knowledge to pass on? So not saying that he should serve forever, but I think that if we go the route of term limits, an important consideration is how you transfer knowledge. What kind of mentoring happens? How do we keep people who have a lot to contribute to public service engaged in public service if they're not serving in Congress? There's plenty to do, right? I mean, maybe maybe the revolving door starts to become to some of our administrative agencies. I, I don't know. But I think it's important to consider how you mitigate these very real arguments against term limits if, if we enacted term limits. And my biggest, this is not a, argument against term limits that I have a beef against. This is just the argument for term limits generally. I I just feel like I said at the beginning, I just feel like people use it as a catch all. They're just like, well, term limits, we need term limits. Like I believe in term limits. Like it's just going to fix everything. That's what bugs me about it more than anything else. So that's kind of how I thought we might wrap up. Sarah, what, if you start thinking about what helps get Congress working again, I think I put term limits on my list, but not at the top of my list. No, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I, I need that at the bottom. I think the I top gotta... the top of my list is redistricting. Oh, absolutely. Gerrymandering, to me, is so much bigger of a problem than this. It's not even funny. And actually, you know, we really should talk soon about the um, – Freakonomics did a great episode about what one political idea should we get rid of. And it's sort of how we're voting, not who we're voting for. That is the problem, it seems like to me. That's the biggest issue is the way in which we vote, not necessarily who's on the ballot. I agree with that. So so for me, if I said, here are my 
here are my top three ideas to make Congress better. Number one would be redistricting. Number two would be to take us out of first past the post into a ranked voting system. And then number three would be term limits. I I have done a lot of soul searching on this topic because I did not have a strong opinion when we started talking about it. And I do come down on the side of believing that term limits would be helpful overall if we can find ways to mitigate some of the downside. But I think that, that it will not solve much without those other two remedies being enacted at the same time. I agree. This goes back to my, this should be, this should be a pantsuit politics t-shirt too. My don't hate the player, hate the game. And I feel like this is a lot about the player. That's my beef with term limits. Like I think there's other ways to, other more substantial and impactful ways to change the game. Cause that's really where your beef lies. See, I think that's interesting because this to me feels like it's all about the game. It's because it's not individualized. It's, how long can people be there and systematically what do we want their interests to be on the way in and the way out see i think it's all about what it's like how long are you there before you're corrupted well it depends on the person you know like and that doesn't i don't i don't know i just feel like it's it's very it's sort of a catch all that it over it over it overcorrects in almost a way. I think. I mean, I'm not totally opposed to them. I just feel like the way people argue term limits is not convincing for me. I think that it does overcorrect to an extent, but I think it's about more than corruption. I think there is a, there's something to acknowledge about the fact that leadership has a life cycle. Yeah. Whether it's leadership of the PTA or a Fortune 500 company, or or in Congress. You know, leadership has a life cycle. I, I think that there is more going on here than just the corruption angle. And, and I agree with you. I, I hate this assumption that anyone would be con- corrupted by that kind of power. So I think that that, shouldn't, that is not persuasive. But I think there are some persuasive things going on. And, and I do ultimately find it compelling to say that a rotation of people in and out makes more sense than what we're doing today and that that probably has to be enacted. I don't know that we're ever going to be engaged enough as a voting population to get there on our own. Great. So we're going to move on to the heels, which has been inspired for me today by your Instagram feed, Sarah. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15.
there's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. I have noticed that you've been posting a lot of food lately, and I thought we could talk about the most delicious things we've eaten over the past month or so. My husband is the chef in our family. I do not cook. I cook breakfast, which is just fried eggs and sometimes sautéed spinach, but I don't cook. That is my husband, and he is really a genius. Like, we had one little green tomato my friend dropped off, and I said... Remember that time you made fried green tomato BLTs? Can you do that again? And he did. Just whipped it right up. And tonight we had Ethiopian food. So those are the two most delicious things I've eaten recently for sure. Can you tell us more about that Ethiopian food? So we used to live in Washington, D.C. Ethiopian food is huge there. And if you ever go, you should definitely go check it out. Ethiopian food is amazing. They give you this like giant bread is not the word. I mean, it looks like a gray dish towel. Truly, that's what it looks like. But it's delicious. And it's a spread you like tear off and scoop up the food with it. But it's like sort of very stewy. So tonight he made, there was a, there was, it has a fictional name. I forgot what he told me it was. But it's like chicken, it was chicken and um, hard boiled eggs boiled in this spicy tomato stew. And then it had, we had green beans and carrots stewed up too. And we ate it all together and it was delicious. While I was on vacation, I had, and I say this not lightly at all as a Kentuckian and Southerner, the best fried chicken of my life. What? I know. Wait, where were you? South I was Carolina? in Hilton Head. Yes. You don't yeah, expect. That okay, I bought it. I, I mean, you know, you expect to go to Hilton Head and have like seafood, whatever. I'm not a seafood eater, but I had the most amazing fried chicken. It's a place called um, like One Hot Mama, something like that. And the chicken had been smoked before it was fried. So Ooh, see, I don't know about that. Oh, good. Let me tell you. So you know, I'm how, like a smoked flavored person. But usually, you're eating fried chicken, and it's just all about the batter on it, right? And yeah, once you yeah. af- after that, it's like, oh well, it's just chicken. And you know, usually it's juicy, and you know, if it's done well, it's, you hope it's got some kind of flavor, but but not a lot. This chicken, you get past the delicious and perfectly handled batter. And every single bite was super flavorful because it had been smoked before it was fried. So it was tender, it was juicy, and you had, it wasn't like a deep smoke, you know, it wasn't overwhelming or overpowering, and you still got all of the great spices in the fried aspect of it, but it was just so good. And I had it with lima beans, which I love. I love lima beans. Oh, me too. I'm underappreciated. Lima, lima beans are underappreciated. They really are. And cornbread with jalapeno in it. I mean, it was like the most perfect southern meal. So yeah. I was delighted. I love fried chicken. If I am anywhere at any time and somebody says there is fried chicken, you know, you have to ask, like, I don't want it off the Cisco truck or anything, but if they made it, I'm signed up. I'm going to eat it. I'm like a fried chicken connoisseur. Cause my, that is one thing my husband is like not big on making because PS, it is a giant pain in the butt to make fried chicken, which is sort of goes to Michael Pollan's rule about like, you can eat donuts and fried chicken and French fries, but only if you make them themselves. Cause they're such a pain in the butt to make, you wouldn't eat them that much. Um, so that's why I always eat it out. So it's I, so I, hard I, to make I well. I feel what you're saying. I'm just suspicious because I don't really like smoke. Like one time Nicholas made fried chicken with smoked paprika in it, and I'm still sort of bitter. It ruined the whole thing for me. <laughs> I think fried chicken is super hard to make. I feel like it's one of those things that you have to practice 
to do well and who is going to make fried chicken enough at home to get really good at it. And also it's just messy and it leaves this smell in your house that I don't like. So, well, we have this place in by Kentucky Lake called the dinner bell, which is like a little country restaurant. It's like, there's like a little teeny tiny salad bar in the middle and then picnic tables on both sides. And like you come in, they don't know you. They're definitely going to stare at you like you have three heads the whole time, but it's worth it. And the back is like the, the country food buffet. And it's literally on like cast iron stoves and they make fried chicken all the time and, you know, homemade mashed potatoes. It's amazing. So if you're ever on this side of the state near Kentucky Lake, look up the dinner bell. It's got the best fried chicken. Double the fun in the heels today because you wanted to talk about Alicia Keys as well. Yeah, I just want to give a, a mad shout out to Alicia Keys. She wrote a thing in Lenny a few weeks ago about her new album cover in which um, she just like was running in to do like a test shot or something. And the girl was like, you look amazing. Let's just shoot you. And she'd just been working out. And she didn't have any makeup on. She's like, oh, my God, are you sure? And she loved the picture. And now she's going like I just saw a picture of her at the VMAs. And no makeup. It's amazing. And we saw her at the DNC, and we also, we were pretty far away. We were pretty sure she didn't have makeup on then. So she's just going makeup-free all the time, which is damn near revolutionary, in my opinion. It's a, I think it's a big deal, too. I, I can't imagine my life without makeup, but maybe I should start imagining I mean, it. I'm willing to. That would be awesome. I'd love to. I, I really like, you know, the way my eyes look with mascara. I had a couple people... Uh, voters open the day to day and compliment my lipstick. So uh, that was good, I guess. But yeah, I mean, just the thought of like it being truly optional and me not feeling like, okay, well, I'm going to go out into the like, I'm not a person that pulls on a full face of makeup to go to Kroger or anything, but like it would be nice to just feel like it's, it's like high heels. Like I can do it totally if I want to and never again if I don't. But I don't feel like that now. No, I don't either. Maybe someday. But keep killing it, Alicia Keys. You look amazing. Well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Pantsy Politics. We are looking forward to your feedback, especially about term limits over the week. But uh, let us know about anything that's on your mind. We'll be back on Friday with another episode. Until then, keep it nuanced, y'all.